Chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. And welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, our interview with Peter Drucker. Well, that's not exactly true, Ron. We... <laughs> I wish that would be that would be a great get, wouldn't it? <laughs> Considering he's dead, what twelve years or so, almost almost thirteen. Yeah. But uh, we've got our Ouija boards out, and I'm going to do the entire show with an Austrian accent, and you're going to interview me. That's how about we do that? I think oh, that'd be good. Fun. Okay, you could channel yeah. Doctor. Excellent. <laughs> I love it. But no, we're this is the the actual we're this we're doing one in our our memorable mentor series, which we haven't done in quite some time, and and. Honestly, Ron, we feed, I've, I've, I've gotten some feedback from people. They're like, eh, the Memorable Mentor's not my favorite shows. Right, like, right. Hey, I've heard okay. that, too. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I promise you stick with this one because Peter Drucker is just an amazing man and an, and an incredible thinker. Having written on on business and I would say philosophy for the better part of, what, six or seven decades when you really think about it, uh, we're still – unpacking some of his ideas uh, I'm, I'm convinced that every management leadership book that comes out has a, an analog in Drucker somewhere that they just stole one of his ideas and just put a, a different spin on it because he was just so far ahead of of uh, of, of of everybody of all of us um, and a lot of the a lot of the things that we we hear about the management fads uh, can you can trace a lot of their oranges back to Drucker. So uh, anyway, it's going to be a fun show. It will be, Ed. And I was just trying to think, too, a question for you before we dive in here. Can you remember yeah. the first time that you really were exposed to Peter Drucker? I believe I can. And it was in a marketing class in college. Then the guy who, who taught our class, I went to Pace University in which is based in New York City, but I went to a campus that was in up. It was in Westchester County, and what was really interesting is we had a, a very eclectic faculty uh, on on this particular campus. The campus was purchased by by Pace from the Div Sisters of the Divine Compassion. Mm. Okay. okay. Uh, which was a, a religious order of, of of Roman Catholic nuns. In fact, there was still a high school on a, a, on the adjacent property that the, the nuns still ran. Well, many of the faculty that we had were were nuns. I had I, I mean I had a, a bunch of nuns in college who were professors, and the joke was, you know, do you call them professor or sister or sister professor? <laughs> professors right uh, but in addition to that we also had a lot of people from the business community because the, the, the campus that I was on had maybe 2,000 students in total associated with it it's now the, it's now exclusively the law school the campus that I went to mm -hmm. and because of this one of the things that we had was an awful lot of people who were doing their uh, their 
I, I think their doctoral degrees, and one of the things that they would do is they would teach classes. And the guy that I had for my marketing professor was fairly high up at at uh, um, General Foods. No, not General Foods. Yeah, General Foods. General Foods. The, or General the, Mills. Uh, no, General Foods. Um, okay. Yep. To, yep. And and because it was because they had a. a I'm sorry, uh, Frito Lay. Um, that's what they they Frito Lay was the the company because he he. That, but uh, that's what I was thinking. But Frito Lay and he, and he taught this marketing class and he was a Dracarian man. Okay. Soup soup to nuts. I remember him talking about the four P's of marketing and price price theory. Didn't explain anything. So I wish I had still had my notes from that class. It was one of my one of my more impressive classes. But that's that's where I was first introduced to Peter Drucker. You know, I, I think I was introduced in, to him in my uh, first year economics course. We had a, a pretty interesting textbook. It had profiles of, you know, famous economic thinkers. And and they put Drucker in here, which is kind of interesting because he wasn't, quote unquote, an economist. But I didn't read him, Ed, until, I mean, really start reading him. I mean, really, really dive into his work. Until after I left college, probably around 86, 87 even after mm-hmm. I, you know, kind of like the last year or so of Pete Marwick. And that's when I really started to dive into his work. And boy, has it just, it, it's just permeated my thinking. I mean, there, <laughs> this guy, and, and, you know, somebody said, and they're so right. They said, you should read Drucker just to learn how he thinks. Because right. he's, he's such an eclectic thinker and he draws from so many different fields. I mean, he was the closest thing we have to kind of like a modern Renaissance man. You know, because he he drew from every single field. And Mm -hmm. one of the really interesting things is, you know, he actually, if you if you tally up his work, you will see that more of his books deal with community, society and polity than they do with management, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. He wrote lots and lots of books about economics and history and uh, some of those I want to share, but um, just really interesting to to read his thoughts on issues besides management and business per se. So I'll dive into a little of that too. So, but yeah, just fascinating guy. Cool, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that because yeah, rather rather than the stuff that we hear often uh, out there, and and look, you and I are, are prone to that as well. I th- I think you know we have a we have a deck that Ron and I share that's called Full Bleed Quotes, which we just used as to access our pre- for our presentations. And what do we have? Four or five in there from Drucker. Oh yeah, we, I mean, I mean, it, he's top top. You know, I got ten quotes that I almost always use from Peter Drucker. Right, he, right. Uh, even if they're not in the slides, you know, I'm quoting them as I talk because I'm just I, I channel them because he's so profound. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's, let's some quick background. I don't want to spend too much time on on uh, his biography, but but uh, interestingly enough, born in, in Austria, Hungary. So that's how far I go back in 1909. Uh, he almost lived to be 96 years old. He was ni- 95 when he died. He, d- he was born on November 19th, 1909 and passed away uh, on November 11th, 2005. But it, in, to a, what he'll, he'll call a, a liberal Lutheran, Lutheran household. Right. That's mm-hmm. where he was born. His 
his dad was a was a lawyer and 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 government civil servant high level guy and his mom was a uh, uh, studied medicine and was i don't know if she was a doctor but she sounds like she was way more than just a nurse she had some you know really deep intellectual thinkings and they he just grew up in a household where there were constant conversations from from high in high level government officials scientists including um, Schumpeter, Hayek, and von Mises. <laughs> yep. And uh, so picture that dinner table, right? <laughs> That'd be a <laughs> pretty, pretty cool conversation. But he then uh, went to, I love this, Dual Bling Gymnasium. That was the name of his, uh, I nice. guess, the, 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 his is a college or so. And went to, couldn't couldn't find any opportunities for employment in in post war 1 vienna so he went to ha- hamburg and he apprenticed in uh, a a cotton trading company and then did doing some writing for as a journalist and then to frankfurt and then he left germany in 1933 for london um and then really but but was an outspoken critic of Hitler. In fact, one of the things that I came across, Ron, in, in preparation for this is a book that he wrote called, and it's going to sound very ominous, but it, but it, but apparently it was it kind of uh, it was called the Jewish Question in Germany, mm-hmm. right? And I cannot find an English translation of this anywhere. But the good news is for our story here is that it was banned by the the Nazis. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yep. <laughs> So anybody who writes a book banned by the Nazis is okay in my book right there. Right. <laughs> and, um, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say uh, he he was born into a prominent family, and 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 you're right. They had these incredible guests. I mean, he knew Freud, uh, Henry Kissinger, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then he he wrote a book at called Adventures of a Bystander, which is his autobiography which I'm just going to really highly recommend people read because it gives you a really great background of him and his, and his thinking and how it was shaped. Um, but one of the things he says in that book that really made me think, it, you know, when I started reading them was, he says, I, I realized that I, at least, do not learn from mistakes. I have to learn from success. And that, and, and I wrote an essay on this saying we learn more from successes than failure. And it was very controversial at the time, but it got a lot of responses. And, but it was, it was framed by Drucker. I mean, I, it, what, how he says that and how he explained it made imminent sense to me. Um, so there's a lot of autobiographical uh, biography details in his um, Adventures of a Bystander, if you, if you want to dive into his background, his family life, and, and all of that. Yeah. Definitely, definitely neat. I just want to mention two quick, quick th- more things about him. One, he he left uh, Germany for England in 1933, as I said, and then in 1943, he became a, a, a naturalized citizen of the United States, and then of course went on to have a, a profound career here. First at at Bennington College, and then for 22 years at New York University as a professor of management, and then finally on to California, where he. Uh, founded or developed one of the first executive MBA programs at Claremont Graduate College. So, um, and then passed away, as I said, at the, the, at the age of 95 in, in Claremont of natural causes. His wife, God bless her, went on to be 103 and only right. died in October of 2014. So, yeah. wow. Yeah, Doris or something, Dolores or yeah. Doris. Yeah, Doris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, just an incredible guy. And and did you happen to run across how many books he actually wrote? I mean, I think it's in the 40s or 50s. 
There is a lot right here. I mean, it's, it, the the bibliography. I yeah, I want to say it's in the thirty, eh, probably closer to forty. Yeah, I just I'm just seeing a list here. Yeah, I mean, some of them are compilations of essays and stuff that he wrote in other places. But yeah, he 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 wrote a lot of books and he coined a lot of terms too. Yes, you know, yes. Management by objectives, privatization, which was actually in his original work was he called it reprivatization. Yeah. I think it was Robert Poole from the Reason Foundation who took out the re and just called it privatization. But it, it, interestingly enough, Ed, Margaret Thatcher read him and had read that work. And that's what she based a lot of her policies on for the reprivatization that went on during her, you know, tenure as prime minister. Yeah. No, really, really neat stuff. And I think we'll get to some of those concepts, including, you know, the one that you mentioned, this the, the, the idea of the knowledge worker. He coined the phrase in 1959 in his book, Landmarks of Tomorrow. And it, it is fair to say, Ron, that our show could not exist without that concept of a knowledge worker. Heck, it's in it's in our read in. Right. <laughs> it is. You know, no about business about in the business in the knowledge economy, and and you know we we've kind of formulated our careers around that. So without Peter Drucker, you know we we would we wouldn't have this show certainly. But there's For some sure. really just great, really cool stuff that he that he uh, he came up with, and really that we're still continuing to unpack. I'm just looking at a big list here of stuff that of notes that I made that I want to talk about, and it's far it's too long for just one show without question. For sure. All right, Ed. Well, we're up against our first break. And, folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com and check out uh, thesoulofenterprise.com for full show notes. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. that changed your life I sure have but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life me neither hello I'm Greg Kite I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy the value of this book is found entirely in its forward so when you buy it think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free available now for download exclusively on amazon.com we're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You 
You're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're doing another installment in our memorable mentors, Peter Drucker. And Ed, he there's so there's so many places to go with this guy as we were discussing, but um, he wrote a book in um, that was published, uh, I think, 1979, and it was a collection of 12 essays that he had written between 57 and 69. It's called Technology Management and Society, and he summed up these essays, which are are just fantastic. I, I really enjoyed this book, and and one of the things that strikes me about going back and reading early Drucker is just how timeless the guy is. Mm-hmm. Even with all of the technological changes that we've been through, his principles are just timeless. And here's how he summed up these essays. He says, they stress constantly the purpose of management, which is not to be efficient, but to be, <laughs> but to be productive for the human being, for economy, for society. And... I just really love that. And this was one of the essays, by the way, where he pointed out that of all the institutions in society, family, church, government, professions, unions, not-for-profits, only the business enterprise is designed to create change. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think I posted that once on Facebook or Twitter and got challenged by people. Oh, no, governments create change all the time. Look at wars, right? Mm-hmm. But essentially... He's he's right. Most most organizations, government, even in the civil society, are designed to preserve and protect the status quo. But yet, it's only the business enterprise that can really tear it down and offer a new, you know, a new way, a new path. And and that's kind of a brilliant insight. I, I would say that that's 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 mostly true. I mean, the, the, what what are, what are most wars fought over? Preservation of some status quo. Right, right. Land or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So it's you know we're we're fighting to preserve the status quo. I guess you could argue that the other side is is fighting to preserve their own status quo, or perhaps make a change. You know, the American Revolution being a, a, an example, but I would su- suggest that the most of the time it's it's about you know preservation or imposition of a, of one status quo over another. But anyway. Yeah, no, uh, so, and I think that that's absolutely correct. This notion that businesses or uh, the entrepreneurial business, whether it be small or large, is is the only place where where the dis- destruction of the status quo is supposed to be the 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 norm is supposed to be what is done, right? Right, right. Well, the other thing he he wrote on in one of the essays in this book was he was talking about youth. And, you know, we did that whole show on, you know, uh, millennials, right, or whatever, the whole right. you know, age astrology thing, right? We're going to classify you as Gen X, Gen Y, and, you know, I think Drucker's thinking would be aligned with ours on that. But what he did say about youth is he said the young are always in the right because time is on their side. <laughs> and that means we have to change it. That's just that just cuts through all the noise, right? I mean, you can bemoan the millennials or whatever all you want, but bottom line is they're going to be around a lot longer than us. So, yep. they're they're going to have their way. Um, the other thing that he taught me is, and 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 I just think this is huge, and we've addressed this on the show so many times. 
but that business is an interdependent system. Um, right. You know, and he really thought that that was the fundamental insight underlying all management was that you know <laughs> when you get right down to it, it's it, it's an in, it's a interdependent system, and you can't just change one part of it, you know, the whole of a system is not necessarily improved if one particular function or part is improved or made more efficient. You got to look at the whole. And so he was, even though I don't think he called it systems thinking, um, he was certainly an early uh, observer observer of that phenomenon. Right. And along, along those lines, Ron, he was a big believer in what would eventually become known as outsourcing, right? I think he, he used the terms front room and back room. Right. And that, you know, the front room is the core of the business, critical to supporting the business at its, at its, at its, at its base. And then back room should be handed over to other companies because they, if, they're, if they're not for, and those, for those other companies – those will be then front room activities, right? So this notion that, you know, you hand your bookkeeping or you hand your accounting system or even finance to a certain extent over to a company that that handles that professionally. That's what they do, right? And this just is further division of labor. You know, I, I, it's, Tom Peters used the term stick to the knitting, right? Right. And I think that's the the, the the same thing as this notion of, of front room. And by the way, Peter is, says that he is profoundly influenced by Drucker. I think he he peppers Drucker quotes throughout all almost all of his work as well. He did. He did say somewhere in one of his books that almost everything you see in a modern business book can be found in Drucker somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, the the other thing, Ed, is is you know one of the things that uh, he's often attributed saying is if you can't measure it you can't no. manage it and boy in the context of our beloved uh, epic debate this is just the thing that absolutely drives me crazy because yeah. he never said this and, and he never wrote it and most importantly he didn't think it he did think measurements you'll get what you measure he, he was a correct for that and big believer and big, be careful what you measure because, and, and, um, he was also, he made the distinction between a measurement and a judgment. Correct. And, and, and that is profound on so many different levels. Yeah, no, it's very, very important. And I, I've had many, many debates with that. In fact, I've challenged people to, on a blog post that I did back in 2009, Ron, on the, the, the Verisage site to, to, to challenge, to, to show me in, in writing where Peter Drucker said, if you, if you can measure it, you can manage it or the inverse, by the way, because I often hear that, right? If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. That's how it, how it's uh, sometimes comes out. And if you do a search, a Google search, I haven't done it in a while, but if you do a, 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 if you do a search on that phrase, You'll come back with Drucker, like it'll yep. come, like there'll be slides with Drucker. It'll be like it's like, but but he never ever never. said it, not even cl- close, the, right? The, yep. The closest I can find again is is Marvin Bauer, who headed McKinsey Consulting. Mm-hmm. It's kind of known as the McKinsey axiom. I don't know if it's in a book that he wrote that was internal to the firm, but that's the closest I've ever been able to find who actually said that. Correct. But Correct. Ed, you and quote in that blog post, if I remember right, you quoted what Drucker did write about measurement, and I think that's worth reading. Well, he, he it, it, yeah, I do have it, but what he, he I, what I what I have is what he <laughs> he 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 talks about. Um, what I think is pretty interesting with regard to you know the whole timesheet, mm-hmm. right? 
And he says this. This is from uh, The Practice of Management, 1954, the book that he published in 1954. Reports and procedures should be the tool of the man who fills them out. Let's just start right there, right? Reports and procedures should be the tool of the man who fills them out. Uh, They must never themselves become the measurement of his performance. (laughs) Bingo. (laughs) Bang. Bang. Right? A man must never be judged by the quality of the production forms he fills out. (laughs) And this is where you got to love Jarker because he's like cutting and there's like humor in it. Unless he's he's the clerk in charge of the forms, the creating of the forms. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) He must always be judged by his production performance. The only way to make sure is is uh, make sure of this is to have him fill out no forms, make no reports, and expect though except for those that he himself needs to achieve his performance objectives. In other words, if you want to fill out a timesheet for yourself, right, to to to, so you can quote see where you spend your time end quote. I got no problem with that. But that cannot become the measurement by which other people judge you. Right, right. No, absolutely. He was a big, big believer in the performance. He said, you know, the the manager is not, or the executive is not paid to be knowledgeable. They're paid to, to do the right thing, to make decisions about doing the right thing. So it was all about effectiveness, hence the title of, of his book, the effective executive, yeah. right? Not the efficient executive, but nope. the effective, the effective executive. Yep. No, I think, and that's that's we often talk about that too. It's not the efficient objective, the efficient executive. And look, I think that the whole management by objectives things too. I think that's come under attack, but only because, as I recall, I don't think it's ever actually been implemented the way Drucker would recommend it be implemented, right? Right. I don't I mean, think it his, was either. His, his management by objectives is really bottom up, right? Because it's yep. it's it's built upon manager's letter, which we've talked about in other shows, and where you work your way up the system. In other words, I I decide as an individual what my objectives are, and then I share them up, it up to, in the chain of command rather than down, right? right? And right. you know, th- th- this of course is completely antithetical to that to how most uh, systems management by objective systems are are put into place because what they've done is they start at the top and they say okay well how does what you do then support these objectives and I think, well that's 180 degrees diametrically opposed from what Drucker was talking about right he, you know and, and he, what I love about that manager's letter which is one of our replacements for the annual performance appraisal is if you're my boss Ed not only do I have to label my objectives and results but I have to label yours. I have to document yours. That means I have to understand what you're trying to accomplish, you know, in the coming year or whatever time period. And and I just think that is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, no, it truly is. And but and again, I've but I've never seen it implemented in that way. So Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> he also and when I know we're up against a break here and you can take us out, but he, he also talked about business models. Now, he didn't use that term. He used a, a more interesting term that, that I think we'd like even better, maybe. Um, but maybe when we come back from the break, we can dive into his thinking on business models. Yeah, no, that sounds like a good idea. But we want to remind you that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to ask 
T-S-O-E at verisage.com. Of course, the website, thesoulofenterprise.com for all show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. And don't forget our Professional Pricing Society course, which is now available. And that's if you go to thesoulofenterprise.com slash PPS. That will take you directly to that course. But right now, a word from our sponsor, Abacus Next. future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Results CRM, the award-winning Abacus Next product, is a customer relationship management solution that will automate your business processes, streamline workflows, and deliver consistent results. Cloud-enabled to provide access to your users anytime from anywhere. Grow your business in 2018 with the number one QuickBooks CRM. To learn more about Results CRM, visit ResultsCRM.com. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about Peter Drucker and Ed, one of the Harvard Business Review articles he wrote back in uh, September, October 1994 was titled The Theory of the Business. And that was basically his term for the for business model. Mm-hmm. So, so you and I like to describe a business model as how a company creates value for its customers and how it captures that value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what Drucker pointed out in this article was that the assumptions that the, that an organization has been built on, uh, you know, over time no longer fit reality, right? And and that the theory of the business or assumptions we make about markets, customers, competitors, the value that customers want and expect and behavior and all of these things. And he says what underlies the current malaise of so many large and successful organizations is their theory of their business no longer works. And so he laid out four specifications of a valid theory of a business. And, and I just think these are really good. And the first one is the assumptions about the environment, the mission, and core competencies must fit reality. 
So he was purpose driven. He did, you know, he didn't use that term so much purpose, but he did use no. mission and values, and he was very purpose driven. The second is the assumption in all three areas have to fit one another. <laughs> so there's that interdependence again. The third is the theory of the business must be known and understood throughout the organization. And the last is it has to be tested constantly. It's not engraved on tablets of stone. It's a hypothesis. And, and this thinking also permeated his thinking, uh, especially around decisions. He said, you know, a decision is basically a hypothesis. And we don't argue with hypotheses. We, te- we test them. <laughs> and I just, you know, I've always really appreciated about that, about him, because he knew the world was complex and uncertain and that executives were faced with decision making and, in, in you know, in, in uncertainty and risk. So, so important. And I, I think we've talked about this on a couple of other shows, but it, it's, it's worth repeating here, especially in a show about Drucker, because one of the most profound things that I think that he taught me was this notion of the three types of risks that a business uh, is, is encounters. And that is one, the risk that a business can afford to take. The second is the risk that a business can afford to take. And then the third, which is the one that is most often overlooked exactly because of this, of this, uh, you know, and what do you want to call it, analysis paralysis or this, this need for data, uh, the, the data, data as substance abuse problem, is the fact that there are, there are risks that a business can't afford not to take. And those are judgments. And there's, there's no ROI analysis that's ever going to come up bring you to the conclusion that this is a this is a risk we can't afford not to take simply because it's it's a supposition about the future and i i I think that is a is such a critical point in business because far too often especially you know the larger the company i think this is where they fall prey to it is well we we, this the the adversity to risk we we don't we don't want to we don't want to destroy our our current marketplace but look at the successful companies that do do that you know apple coming out with a a new phone every 18 months that completely destroys and and uh and takes on its its own product line right right um it's just, you know, people say, well, that's because, you know, the, 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 they're, they're designed to, to go bad after a certain period of time. It's like, no, it's because Moore's law <laughs> is still in play. And every 18 months, the speed of the processing chip in the, in the phone doubles. And that doubling is really big now because it's been happening for decades. So right. the differences between those the, those two phones is just is absolutely astronomical, and that that's one one of the things that, that you know Drucker called it, I believe, planned abandonment, right? Yes. That businesses and governments have a natural tendency to cling to yesterday's successes rather than to seeing what are is no really is no longer useful and getting ra- rid of that, and that's that should always be a question, All right? When we're putting this in place, when do we plan to abandon it? And that's a question that is rarely, if ever, asked. <laughs> he said, you know, uh, not to be too indelicate, but he said, you know, the human body has a natural discharge for waste, but corporate life doesn't seem to <laughs> to be the same. Uh, and you know, one of the things that he's credited with doing uh, from from Jack Welch is in his in his pool in his little humble house there in Claremont, California. Uh, he got in the pool with Jack Welch right after Welch took over General Electric as CEO, and and he asked him. He said, "So, 
he said, you know, geez, in all these, you know, lines of business, if you weren't in that line of business today, would you enter it? And if the answer to that is no, what are you going to do about it? And mm-hmm. Welch credits that question, that one question with his policy of we're either going to be number one or two in this market or we're leaving, we're exiting. And he shut mm-hmm. down, I forget how many divisions of General Electric, but, you know, it goes back to that idea of, you know, staying close to your knitting um, and, and, you know, that's profound. So he was a big believer in the whole planned obsolescence and getting rid of yesterday so you could assign your best talent, your best human capital to tomorrow, tomorrow's opportunities. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah. You know, I think his, his three type of types of risk and everything I'd ever read about Drucker when he talked about profit, you know, and profit's the price that we pay for tomorrow. And I, I don't know where I got it. I, I, I don't know if I formulated it just after reading everything, but that's where the idea came from that, hey, pro- all profit comes from risk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you really think about this, that that is the origin of profit is, is risk taking. So we can't avoid risk. We can't live in a riskless world. Right. And, and, and I, th- going back to that, the notion of profit is not the primary goal. Boy, do I get into arguments with that all the time with people, right? And they, yep. they, 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 they cannot see this notion that, that profit is the result. Um, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not the driving goal or it's not, it's not the, the purpose, right? Um, and I, he, he, Drucker believed I, that that the primary responsibility of company is to serve its customers. Yeah, to, to, he <laughs> said to create a to, to create a customer. Um, right. And yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. In fact, one of the not shareholders, not shareholders, customers. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, in fact, one of the in one of the books he talks about um, Germany and Japan, and and one of the lessons that we can draw from them. Is that they they're not out just to max they're not out to maximize profit but they're out to maximize or optimize the wealth creating ability of the organization. Mm-hmm. And boy, I, I think if it, it, this and if, if if I had to say the big the big riff on business on capitalism whatever you want to talk about it you know a, a lot lot of lot of memes right now around this notion of democratic socialism. You know, and I've yet to have anybody explain to me what the difference between democratic socialism and just regular plain old socialism is. You know, yep. <laughs> like I just did yep. right. They, they try, but but they, they, except to say that democratic socialism, if you do look it up, if you look at any of the websites, it's clearly quote anti-capitalistic, right? Absolutely. And and but but they ha- but but what with and and the problem is is that businesses do themselves a disservice by falling into the the trap of what these the democratic socialists say by saying that their purpose is to ha- to create profits right and that they fall into that the, the this misthinking this ill ill thinking that they their primary responsibility is to create profits not to service customers and especially not to service shareholders. And I think when push comes to shove, unfortunately, large institutions, large companies, when decisions are made on a day-to-day basis, they are made, unfortunately, and primarily in the interest of, well, we have to take care of the shareholders. And there's, if that's the mistake that we can rectify in the world 
by saying no. The question the question primarily is what's right for your customers that that, that businesses would be a lot better places today. So Absolutely. And just on that point, Ed, you know, another book that I really, really loved was called A Functioning Society, Selections from 65 Years of Writing on Community, Society, and Polity. And this book was published in 2003, and Drucker handpicked these selections. And it's just a, a, a bunch of essays that he wrote in various places all over the map. But he talked about, and, and this was his critique also of government, uh, and he talked about how Marxism was the god that failed. And he, because he grew up in Germany, he listened to this. I love this. He said, I once in 1932 heard Hitler say in a public speech, we don't want higher bread prices. We don't want Mm -hmm. lower bread prices. We want national socialist bread prices. (laughs) And Drucker says 5,000 people in the audience cheered wildly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have no idea what, 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 what the difference is. (laughs) <laughs> but, yep. No, I, I found that found that story. And that was that was really the thing that said he, he said, I, I got to get out of here. He said, yeah. I'm going to be out, out of Germany within 48 hours. He yeah. said after that, he, he saw the problem in Germany really early on. He also points out in this book that the only successful he was kind of a critic of the megastate. You know, he turned he used the term megastate and Leviathan and all of that. But he said the only successful policy of the megastate is avoidance of World War Three. He did give credit for avoiding a war um, to the government. But he said, you know, we no longer expect results from our government. And they only do two things effectively. They wage war and inflate the currency. Uh, and he also was a big uh, you know, uh, opponent of overregulation and red tape. He said, the only good thing red tape is good for is to bundle up yesterday in neat packages. <laughs> Such a great sense of humor, right? That's the <laughs> it, it's very dry, but boy, does it bleed through his work. Um, and then he was also a big critic, and we did a show on this as well. He was a big critic on the whole idea of social responsibility of business. He said Mm -hmm. that assumes that businesses are either responsible or irresponsible and that that it's a problem for business alone. But he said clearly that's a problem for all organizations, government, not-for-profit. And he said the least responsible organization today is not business. It's universities. He was a massive critic of universities. Now, maybe that's because none would hire him, (laughs) you know, at least the Ivy Leagues, right? Because um, mm-hmm. he wasn't well respected in academic circles, when you really when you really get down to it, he, he wasn't right. quoted by them. He wasn't taught by them, and yet, I I think his contributions dwarf any major ma- academic I can think of in the business world. Well, certainly the economists do, and as you said, he probably should have won the Nobel Prize for economics. Well, as we go to the break, I'll leave you with this quote that I encountered. <laughs> he says, there is only one point on which the economists and I are in agreement. I am not an economist. <laughs> 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 All right, if you want to get a hold of Ron or me, the email address is asktsoe at verisage.com. The website, of course, thesoulofenterprise.com, show notes, previews to upcoming shows, and also a, our archive page where you can see all 199 as of this show of our show, pr- shows previous we hope you'll take a listen and certainly subscribe on itunes and leave us reviews out there we love to to hear from you and now a word from our sponsor and my employer sage 
Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about Peter Drucker and Ed. Peter passed away on November 11th of 2005 at the age of 95. Mm-hmm. And I was publishing a book at the time, and I had to <laughs> I had to update the, the preface because I had, I had called him out or the acknowledgments. And I said, it does not mark the beginning of the end, but the end of the beginning since he left us such a rich legacy. And, of course, one of his legacies is the classic book. It may be his bestseller, I'm not sure, called The Effective Executive. But mm-hmm. before before he passed away, he was actually working on an update in that called The Effective Executive in Action. And the book was act, actually came out in December of 2005, literally about a month after he passed away, um, even though the copyright says it's 2006. Um and it's a fantastic book. And in The Effective Executive in Action, he talks about there's five practices of an effective executive. And I have to say that I disagree with one of them. That's another thing I want to ask you about is where do you disagree with Drucker? Because I don't take everything he says as gospel. But mm-hmm. here are the five practices of the effective executive managing your time, which is where I disagree. I don't think you can manage time. I think you can mm-hmm. manage your focus and your energy, but put that aside. Focusing your efforts on making contributions, making your strengths productive. Drucker was a big believer in playing to your strengths um, and you know downplaying your weaknesses. Concentrating your efforts on the tasks that are most important to contributions and making effective decisions. And the book is kind of a personal journey to help you do that. Because, of course, one of the, one of the complaints about Drucker that people made 
even his students made this was that, you know, he didn't tell people what to do or how to do it. Rather, he, he would ask them questions. It was very Socratic that way. He, mm-hmm. he, would, he's, he, he rarely talked about how to do something. He might talk sometimes about what to do, but he would mm-hmm. rarely tell you how to do it. And, that, and you know, in our how-to culture, <laughs> that really, really right. frustrates people. But that was, I think, his genius. He made you come to your own conclusions. Right. And he, he would not be, have been proponent of a listical, right? Um, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 I think that, that he's right because how, how can anyone else tell someone else how to do it? There's how, how would I do it? But I can't tell you how you should do it. And I think that's the, that is the genius behind his work, that he truly was an educator in the, in, in the, in the, the, the meaning of that word, meaning to, to educare, to extrude, to, to draw out, right, rather than put, put in. He wasn't, he wasn't there to stuff us with, with facts and lists of things to do. He was there to get us to think more about what we would approach it, how we would approach it, because I think what he was open to is the fact that you might come up with something better than what he had. That's right. Right? That- you were you were you were the you were the you, you yourself, and I'm sure he did this with Welsh too, right? And Welsh per- perhaps did come up with something better than what Drucker would have suggested in that conversation in in his hot tub, right? Because he was asking asking those questions. So what are you going to do about it? Well, you know that that that's a really good question. Got to got to got to think on that for a while. Um, and I think that was the genius is that he was he was more about extruding out, taking stuff out rather than stuffing stuff in. And, you know, on that point, Ed, in the book, in his autobiography, The Adventure, Adventures of a Bystander, he says Socrates wasn't a teacher, but a pedagogue who is someone who's a guide to the learner. The Socratic method isn't a teaching method. It's a learning method. And he mm-hmm. said for the teacher, the passion is inside him or her. For the pedagogue, the passion is inside the student. Mm-hmm. And that. And it's exactly what you know what what you were just saying about the 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 root of education, right? Is drawing out, not stuffing mm-hmm. in. Um, so I right. just I, I love that. the The other thing in this effective executive that he's stu- that has always stuck with me. It's such a great, such a great lesson because it it just <laughs> it, it makes obsolete all these you know the disc profile and Briggs Meyer and all this happy horse crap he said you got to figure out if your boss is a reader or a listener how do they like to absorb information and Mm -hmm. he said rarely do you find somebody who are both right he said trial lawyers were both readers and listeners but usually there's a preference that people have for one or the other so how do you how do they like to be communicated what's the most effective way to communicate with them and i always thought that that was a great distinction the other thing he says in the effective executive, you know, he wasn't one of these leadership guys. He didn't go on mm-hmm. and on about leadership. He said the only thing you can say about a leader is there's somebody who has followers. And he said the, right. most, <laughs> the most charismatic leaders of the last century, talking about the 20th, uh, were Hitler, Stalin, May, Mao, and Mussolini. He said they were misleaders. <laughs> right. Yep. But people follow them. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, the, the you know the other thing that that I, it always strikes me about Drucker is that his uh, his respect for workers, right? Yes. In the in the organizations, he you know, and he's the one I think he may have coined the term human asset, right? Yeah. Um, and, and and but he certainly didn't believe that they were liabilities, which you know, still to this day, that's if you look on the 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 the, the P and L, right? Employees are mostly liabilities. There's no there's no assets section where you list your employees right. on the balance sheet, right? right? So uh, to th- to this day, that's that's still a, a a problem with modern financial accounting. But he he had incredible respect for them and and thought that they really did know and that a manager's job is really to to yes prepare them to perform but mostly to give them their freedom right give them their freedom to to get get out of the way let them do what they want to do and this notion of of uh, of top down and hierarchical not a big command and control guy at all he says you know the people have roles let them do their role and I think that's another thing that modern business still suffers from is this notion of climbing the corporate ladder, right? And that you really, you, you can't, you, you're getting ahead means getting into a position that's higher on the, 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 the corporate uh, chart, org chart. And that's just sometimes not the case. And I, I'd like to point out to my, my own career is that I think I've, I personally have done a pretty good job of managing that. I, I don't want, I don't want to be vice president of something, <laughs> I don't right. want it. Right, right. You know? <laughs> you, you know your strengths and your weaknesses, right? And, and, yeah. and that, that is really important. And, you know, he, he did use uh, the word asset when referring to people in, in some of his earlier writings. I just came across that and was kind of shocked because later in life he called them volunteers. You know, he mm-hmm. called knowledge workers volunteers. But, um, but getting back to your idea of people, he did believe management was a liberal art. He linked it to the humanities disciplines and I'm thinking, Ed, that we could do away with business schools and probably be better off um, and, and go back to placing business education in, in the liberal art department or the humanities where it belongs because we're dealing with people, especially in, in the knowledge age. I think that's really important. No, absolutely. And, and also this notion of, of the community right? and what we, we, we need to be communities of people serving one another inside the organization right and there's so much more he taught me like there's no such thing as business ethics but unfortunately we're up against it and add next week number 200 can you believe it ron no i Show can't 200 and unreal um we have what i thought was going to be a special guest but now it's kind of up in the air so we're not even sure if this gentleman's going to be able to make it next week or not but we have george gilder's scheduled and what's really exciting is his new book is just out called life or coming out we actually have an advanced copy of it called life after google so i know what i'll be doing this weekend but um (laughs) no matter what we do next weekend or next week um i'll see you in 167 hours This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world to the imagination of the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, in the meantime. Do business.
again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management.